0: Just tuning in, this is Backstory, we're the American History Guys, and we're talking about the relationship between science and religion in days past. For the past few weeks, we've been inviting your feedback on today's topic at BackstoryRadio.org, and our producers have invited a couple people who left comments there to join us on the phone.
1: Hey guys, rally around, we have a call from Bellingham, Washington, it's Matthew. Matthew, welcome to Backstory.
2: Hi. So not all religions in the United States, uh, really not all even Christian traditions, have the same sort of track record with science. And even using the same Bible, not all traditions have read Genesis the same way. And I was wondering if you could comment then on how these different belief traditions, even the ones that still, you know, have the book of Genesis, uh, how they have different approaches to science.
0: Well, I guess it strikes me that the two most powerful faith traditions that are not sort of evangelical Christianity, or Catholicism and Judaism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it strikes me that both of those have had uh, quite different uh, angles of connection and dissent uh, with science. I, I'd be curious to know, is science problematic with Judaism in the 19th or 20th century?
3: Are you asking me based on my uh, four years of Hebrew school, Ed, <laughs> or is, uh, simply, simply <laughs> as as an historian? As an historian, I would say that as an organized Religion, uh, Judaism has probably had the easiest relationship
0: with science. Well, how about Catholicism then? I mean, one, one way to think about it is that Catholicism is in a different kind of, sort yeah. of more corporeal conflict with certain varieties of modern science, and one things of reproductive sure. debates and so right. forth. But you know, and and obviously, long before Protestant Christianity sort of became established in the United States, uh, the Catholic Church had been wrestling with science for centuries. So mm-hmm. it's interesting how we narrowed the bandwidth so much uh, to really to talk about an American case of evangelical Christianity, and we don't really talk much about a conflict between yeah. Catholicism. I think
1: that's a great question, and I think it has something to do with uh, authority and ecclesiastical authority and the organization of the Roman Catholic Church. So these issues, of course, have been and continue to be profound and important. But the kind of personal engagement that is characteristic of the Protestant tradition, where it's you and your God as mediated through the Bible, Mm -hmm. uh, I think that makes every man, so to speak, has to be a scientist uh, or an anti-scientist. That is, you have to answer these fundamental questions for yourself, and in a way, most believers in most faith traditions in the world don't, in an ongoing way, have to balance or resolve these problems on an individual basis because their church hierarchies, their r- religious organizations, are are in a way deciding these things. Usually, in a way that enable a lot of play and a lot of slack, so people don't have to march to the same drum.
3: I mean, the great the great irony here is on, on the flip side. Uh, Science used to be what we associated with the individual natural philosopher, the inventor, the tinkerer, and it is now science. That is organized uh, in these gigantic organizational uh, uh, structures that require panels that sign off on the validity of grant proposals, that kind of thing. It could be
1: that there's a a real antinomian appeal, that is the appeal of the individual believer, to stand Mm -hmm. up against the hierarchies of science, just as you once stood up against the hierarchy of the Roman Church. Right. Have we totally confused you, Matthew?
2: No, no, no. I I think, though, that there are issues of authority— but there is, you know, there's also sort of a theological direction to it as well. Part of it is I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian, and coming from an older Eastern tradition, I in some ways older than Roman Catholicism. You know, coming out of the Middle East, uh, we don't have a pope or a right. magisterium. We also don't have a lot of the same rationalism that came into theology in the Middle Ages. It's very mystical. But we've had a lot of freedom for scientists and really very notable scientists right up into the 20th century and the present very day. And we actually even have a lot of freedom on the question of evolution. My faith has been described lovingly as disorganized religion. So um, <laughs> there, there really isn't a definitive stance on a lot of these things.
1: But of course, uh, Protestants are constantly engaging with these cosmic issues, but they're also monitoring each other the individual believer is intensely concerned with other believers. So there's a real imperative to achieve some kind of, not consensus as if there were a compromise, but to get to a shared truth a and solidarity, impose that. A solidarity. Yeah. And Tocqueville talked about mass society in the, in the 19th century, that the genius of American democracy is that people seem to believe the same thing. And that's no accident because it comes out of Protestant religion, which is both incredibly diverse, but also has powerfully conformist tendencies. And you don't have that kind of pressure toward conformity within more highly structured institutions or even within a disorganized Greek Orthodox Church.
2: Uh, You guys are sharp. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling. Okay, thank you very much. Bye.
1: We've got another call, and it's from Margaret in Lumberton, North Carolina. Margaret, welcome to Backstory.
4: Hello, and thank you. My husband and I moved here a little over 20 years ago, and local lore held that um, a farmer that lived not far from where we lived at the time um, had beefalo on his farm, Mm -hmm. which, for those who don't know what that is, is a cross between cows and buffalo. Right. And somebody took offense to this and felt that it was the intermingling of species was wrong and murdered the man.
1: Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) This is getting better and better.
4: And, and certainly, yeah, breeding of livestock was considered a gentlemanly pursuit at one time. Mm-hmm. Early research into genetics was conducted by monks, so clearly, you know, there was not the same kind of moral or religious meaning attached to things like beef lo. Um, and so I'm wondering if, as we unravel nature's mysteries... Mm-hmm. With cloning and embryonic stem cell and things like that, are we attaching more religious meaning or moral value than we did in generations past?
1: Well, Margaret, it's a great question. One thing that came immediately to mind when you asked about the beefalo are some of the things that Thomas Jefferson said about race mixing, that if you loved natural philosophy, you wouldn't want to mix the races because nature had created them different. In some way. This was an imprecise proto-racial science argument, but it suggests that nature has a design and that we should not violate it. At the same time, somebody like Jefferson and people in his generation were in love with the idea of improved domestic livestock and Mm -hmm. that breeding was crucial to the improvement of the separate races. So one of the issues that it raises is, uh, what is nature, and what is nature's purpose, and is there a design in nature? Yeah, you know, one word is troubling
0: me here on all this, and that's mule. Mm. You know? yeah, I mean, mules have been around for a long time and are very obviously a human creation because they cannot recreate, right. you know? It seems to me such an obvious challenge to the idea of the perfection and separability of of species, mm-hmm. but we know that people have been breeding livestock for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. I guess one way to think about this in an era before Darwin, selective breeding did not seem as much of a challenge because you did not have any concept that the actual species could evolve or yeah. change. Yeah, that's a great right? Point. You're just you're just improving them. You're just bringing to the surface what God's already put there.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and and I would just add that. This can be seen in religious terms because of the requirement that man be productive and improve uh, upon his conditions, and of course, in the twentieth century, this really runs wild with all kinds of hybrid corn. Uh, a lot of this funded by the government uh, in order to improve the quality of corns, and then by the time we reach the 21st century, genetic modifications. I don't have an answer for your question of whether this yeah. ma- makes it more religious, no, less religious, a, or, think, or violates I, I think that's just what
1: Margaret's getting at, and that is the distinction between what Ed says about improving nature, and that's what we're supposed to do. And right. that's fully compatible with a notion of God's creation. But then... Somehow you can also be violating nature, and it's the boundary between improvement and violation, between doing something that seems to be in tune with some kind of harmonious, larger design or end, and then the rampant violation of something that we should hold sacred.
4: Well, I think you see that with the embryonic stem cell questions, that if if we're using this to end cancer, Mm -hmm. People have less problem with it than if we're doing it to
0: clone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because if you think about what man is created for, it's to have dominion over nature. Right. To quote the Bible, right? I think we're also supposed to suffer, however. And I think
1: <laughs> if we're going to get theological about this, and yeah. uh, suffering humanity is, it's not, uh, it's of course, uh, ever since the fall is what we're doomed to, but it's knowledge of our finite qualities, uh, of our limitations, suffering as part of creation. And of course, the creation's design transcends us. It's when we substitute ourselves for that creation as if giving ourselves eternal life. But
3: um, speaking of finite, uh, Margaret, I would just complicate further your very good question and not just think about modification, but elimination, and think about all the species that have been eliminated in the efforts to protect them. This, too, strikes me as a right. deeply religious question yeah, as to great, whether right? man is entitled to eliminate uh, entire species yeah. of vegetation and animals.
1: Well, we've done it already. Yeah, not- it's too late. <laughs> 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 Don't: <laughs> Sorry, Margaret, you were going to say.
4: No problem. I was just going to say, I think that that is probably the question that then will keep us going as human beings.
1: Yeah, and I think you've done a wonderful job of identifying one of the things we will be arguing about. In many ways, uh, religion and science are part of our engagement with these fundamental questions, different approaches, you might say, but perhaps ultimately complementary. And I think you've really drawn our
0: attention to Well, too. we just hope we've not made you suffer too much, even though it is our human fate. <laughs> right. No problem.
4: Thanks, Margaret. Bye-bye.
3: Well, unfortunately... That's where we're going to have to leave things today. But as always, the conversation continues online. Drop by and let us know what you think. Will science and religion ever truly make peace with one another? You can find us on Facebook and at BackstoryRadio.org. All our past episodes are there, as is a link to our new weekly podcast, Don't Be a Stranger.
0: Today's episode of Backstory was first produced in the fall of 2011 by Tony Field and Catherine Moore and revised this year by Jess Ingebretson. Jamal Milner engineered the show. Backstory's executive producer is Andrew Wyndham. Major support for
3: Backstory is provided by the National Endowment for the Humanities, the Joseph and Robert Cornell Memorial Foundation, the University of Virginia, Weinstein Properties, an anonymous donor, and the History Channel. History made every day.
4: Peter Onuf and Brian Ballow are professors in the University of Virginia's Corcoran Department of History. Ed Ayers is president and professor of history at the University of Richmond. Backstory was created by Andrew Windham for the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities.